What's up, world? Welcome to Authentically Us, the podcast that dives into what it means to be authentic in life. I'm your host, Conroy Smith, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Tony Morton. Tony and I decided to make this podcast during the global pandemic when social and racial unrest were at the headlines every single day, but authentic conversations between people seemed like an afterthought. We've had these conversations for years and we thought it would be a good opportunity to open them up to others and hear different perspectives and get a little deeper. So for our first episode, we're going to keep it super simple and get to know each other a little bit more by exploring our family dynamics. We've been friends for most of our lives, but there's still some things we don't know about each other. So we're going to get into it in this first episode. But before we do so, we're going to talk a little bit about ourselves because I mean, who doesn't like to talk about themselves and our friendship over the years. So I'm going to go ahead and go first. Again, I am Conroy and a little bit about me. I am originally from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. I like to tell people that is the sticks of Pennsylvania. And I currently now live in San Diego, California, where I am a Orange Theory coach, as well as I do worship at a church. Um, and then been working on some other business projects here and there. I moved out here in California 2016 to pursue an Olympic dream, to be a rugby Olympic athlete. Um, almost made it, but I didn't. So now I'm just enjoying the sunny San Diego life. Awesome. And I'm uh, Tony Morton. I also grew up in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. And yes, it is the sticks. I now currently live in uh, Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, not far from Chambersburg. I live in Shippensburg with my wife and my two-year-old son. Uh, I do full-time college ministry at Shippensburg University. Um, I also have cerebral palsy. And for those of you that may not know what cerebral palsy is, it is a physical disability that causes your muscles to get real tight. And it's hard to just relax your muscles often with cerebral palsy uh one side of your body is more affected than the other in my case the right side of my body is weaker than my left side um but it doesn't affect any cognitive behavior uh in uh my mental state And so, yeah, Conroy and I, we, we've we known each other, like he said, most of our lives. Uh, but we really started to get close in high school when when uh, two of our, our friends passed away in car accidents. And we had to really lean on each other to get through that hard time. Uh, that was when... I actually uh, found my faith in the Lord and started to develop a very close relationship uh, with Conroy. 
And to be clear, guys, Tony actually did not like me when we first met originally, right? Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> I did not like any jocks because all the jocks I perceived wanted to pick on me for my disability. But that was not the case with Conroy. I just assumed, and you know what they say about when you assume. So, Tony, you didn't like me because I played sports? Yeah, you you played (laughs) sports and you were popular. This is news to me. This is news to me, guys. Wow. Yes, you were popular, and I, I did not think popular kids liked me. And so I just kept my distance. And look at us now, Tony. Look how far we've come. God. We've come so far. We're Up like, in your wedding. Yes. <laughs> you you were the only person that addressed my son as sea bugs. <laughs> oh, man. And that actually is a perfect segue into what we're talking about today. Family dynamics. Um, t- Tony and I both have very unique family dynamics. Um, just growing up, um, both my parents are black, and my dad is actually from Jamaica. And Tony's parents, he has a mix. Like his mom's white, and his dad is black, and his wife is white. So your son is a little bit of, of everything. So you, you mentioned your son, how I get to call him sea bugs. I get to be the uncle. So let, let's, let's dive into what it's like, Tony, what's your family dynamic dynamic like now, now that you're a father. Um, yeah, man. So now that I'm a father, I get to, I get to really, um, be the father I never had. I get to rewrite generational curses mm. and and change the game. Um, I'm present with my son. I'm always there. I'm, you know, playing with him and and just doing the things with my son I never had. Mm. And, and you know, while while my son may not understand and remember these moments i will and it's just gonna it's gonna be something i cherish always is running around the house chasing my son while he belly laughs um as i try to catch him um and and it's very interesting that you know because i'm because I'm mixed and my wife is white, he's he's definitely looks more white than he does uh, black. And so that's just interesting because, you know, I wonder, like, what's going to happen as he grows up? And, like, mm-hmm. you know, people try to try to say, like, oh, Clay, Clay, my son's uh, name, um, you're white. Uh, You're not black. You're lying. And then he comes home 
and like talks to me through like that like aren't I, aren't I black too since you're black and like it's you know it's gonna be a challenge for sure because he's gonna go through that like what we call in the black community colorism of you know your skin's not as dark as mine or vice versa so you can't be black um because i feel like something that is toxic you know in in um minority uh cultures is like you aren't a certain race because that's who you are but you have to act and add extra things to that to be accepted as black latino whatever that may be did that make sense yeah and i wanted to kind of touch a little bit on that um for those who don't know colorism is racism in colored communities based on the shades of color now tony you, you have experienced colorism a lot right and you kind of mentioned the the your love as being a father to your son but what was that like having a black dad and being light-skinned uh we had to call them light-skinned brothers as you are um <laughs> what, what 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 talk speak a little bit on that and how that pertains to colorism and how you know you're going to be able to have these conversations with your with your son someday yeah so i've always referred to the movie uh the cartoon movie madagascar um in in that movie there's a zebra that he says in the movie i don't know if i'm a black zebra with white stripes or a white zebra with black stripes mm-hmm. in my whole life that's how i felt wow because you know I I was too black for white people, especially the white women I dated. Uh, they made it very clear that, you know, dating me was out of the question because I was too black for their parents. Um, but then with the black community, I wasn't black enough. Uh, I was often told I was a white boy with the tank. Because I didn't act black. Uh, and so I I just never fit in anywhere. And so I just kind of hated the body I had. Because not only was I an outcast from my race. I was also outcasted from my disability. And so I just, I couldn't when it seemed like Mm -hmm. you know i i feel like i've experienced the same thing you know growing up in my family the way i have like i like i mentioned both my parents are black and growing up this is a fun fact i actually wanted to play soccer and my cousin one day was like black people don't play soccer so after that i stopped playing soccer Mm -hmm. but after educating myself knowing that like 
all of Africa plays soccer and they're like really good. So I was like, ah, I could have been a soccer player. Anywho. Um, but like growing up there and like understanding that, you know, some of my black family members viewed me in the things that I liked as not black enough or, you know, or when I moved in with my grandmother, people didn't understand that as, as e- either. Cause my, my grandmother is white because my grandfather remarried. So living with a white grandmother growing up in a very black culture, it was very interesting, but I think what it allowed me to do is understand how uh, fitting in, how to fit in with, with, a lot of people, you know, growing up where we grew up in a very predominantly white town in Chambersburg. Um, it's like, you almost have to fit the mold. And even with my family, I had to fit the mold. Like when I was with my immediate family, I had to act a certain way. You know, I could almost be loose. I could also be my authentic self because I could walk in my house with, you know, a do-rag on or, you know, listen to a certain type of music or say different types of, of, of things. But after leaving the house, the moment I left the house, that's when, you know, in the black community, there's this thing that we call code switching. Everybody knows what it is. And that's essentially when you have to talk a certain way. Like we call it phone voice. Like when you go to the phone, you have to say certain things. And I had the code switch to fit in. And eventually you get to the point where am I code switching anymore? Or is this who I am? You know, and even in our families, for me, I had to really tap into that, especially with, with my, my sisters and my mom, you know, understanding that I have, I have three sisters. Um, two of them are older than than me and I have one younger sister and and being the only boy, you know, I got a lot of uh, love. I could say I was, I was very spoiled. A lot of people say I'm spoiled because I'm the only boy, but I never had to share, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't like, I don't like sharing, but my, my role in my family now happens to be the peacemaker. So when, when, when things are very chaotic because my family is kind of divided with, you know, my mom and then my grandma, like that's where the, that's where the division is. So it's like, I'm the peacemaker when it comes to that and trying to keep everybody together growing up in a mixed uh, and blended family. Tony, what do you feel your role is? You know, I, I think, honestly, I'm still trying to find what my role is because growing up, I I felt like I was always told who I had to be. Mm. Um, and I never got a chance to explore that. Um, you know, I think, honestly, uh, something that really... Um, just got to me was I was told by you know my mom my dad and my grandmother I I I was so sweet and I had um a heart of gold 
growing up mm. and like you know while that meant well um they often used that against me of like oh you can't be mad or angry you, you're so nice and where's my boy with a heart of gold um and so like i had to suppress a lot of my emotions because i was a nice guy and i think now i have a hard time you know reconciling like yeah i'm the nice guy but like i have some hard stuff to say and i need to confront people in my family but Ain't no one in my family want to stay and have conversations. They just want to kind of dip out when conversations get too uncomfortable. And for me, like, stay in the conversation, bro. Like, yeah, we need to have these honest conversations if if we really want to grow as a family. And so, like, I think what I want my role to be is someone that tells the truth about my family and causes my family to actually own up to the crap that's happened and not just act like we're good because we're not. Wow. Wow. That's a, I mean, I feel like, every person can relate to that, you know, because I think as humans, we want to look a certain way, you know, we have Instagram, so we put our best foot forward. But when we get to the nitty gritty of our family, you know, when it's not Thanksgiving or Christmas, (laughs) it's like, what about the random Wednesday when we were all yelling at each other, you know? So let's, let's, let's like talk about those things. And I think that is, is is so important you know and I, I love that you're you're realizing that and i think a lot of people can relate with that because that's something i think with our generation being millennials like in the middle of the millennials it's like we get to actually sit and process what our families our parents have told us and then we can be like you know what that wasn't okay and yeah we need to talk about it and because I, I think at least with with my family and you know being in the black community I, I i think you could probably relate with this too it's like black people don't talk about things like we can go our whole lives no and talk up and there could be this like really big argument and never talk about it and like you said act like everything is cool when yeah. it's not it, especially uh in family, right? Like mm-hmm. we, I think in in the black community, we hold family to such a like sacred standard and like, loyalty. Yeah, we, yeah, we prize loyalty so much, which mm-hmm. I'm not knocking that, but I think it's prioritized so much that it causes us not to call people out, call people in even and say, you need to do better because I know you can. Um, And so, yeah, for sure. That's so good. Yeah. And I I think 
one thing you said earlier about, you know, breaking generational curses with, you know, now you being the father and you now are in control of the direction and trajectory of your family. What is a goal of yours to kind of change that trajectory, you know, based on how, how you grew up, like, what is one thing that you're like setting in stone and be like, you know what, this is maybe how I was raised, but this is how we're going to, it's going to stop with me essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one goal of mine is to, to be present with my son, but in a way that shows him that it is okay to be a man and be very in tune with your emotions because I, for me, something that my dad always told me is, you know, when I'm, you know, sensitive or crying, oh, I'm just, I'm being a girl or, you know, you know, excuse my French, but I'm being a bitch, um, was always said to me, you know, and I think even, even one instance, I remember, like, it just happened 10 minutes ago, um, it was, uh, elementary school, I had bad grades, because I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, doing good in school, and, um, my my mom called my dad to let him know how I was acting up. He came over and he just started hitting me. Um, and like, if I would cry, he hit harder. And he didn't wow. stop until I stopped crying. Because um, he thought, oh, that this makes you tougher. Um it didn't. <laughs> it made me absolutely terrified of him. And like even to this day, he uh uses that moment like a badge of honor of like, yeah, it was because of that whooping you straightened up in school and it's like nah bro, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I straightened up in school because I was terrified of you. I no longer looked at you like you're my dad that I can go to for anything you were you were this enemy do you think that affected your relationship with your mom or kind of calling him and letting letting him know about your grades yeah i I think there was a part of me that was like you often don't want him around me, but when you want me to be disciplined, you call my dad. And like, because to me, looking back, he had no right to discipline me. He wasn't around. Like, Mm. he, he shouldn't get the right to discipline me and hit me when he won't even be a around enough to get to know me play with me like actually be a father 
Um, and, and I think after that, there's some trust broken between my mom and I of like, you betrayed me. (laughs) Like, like, I can no longer look to you as safety because I know at any point you could let that happen again. Wow. You know, in a, in a similar fashion, I feel like, you know, my, my grandmother, my step grandma, step grandmother technically has raised my little sister and there was times in her life when I went to college where my grandma would call me as the disciplinarian, like, or utilize me as like, Oh, if you do this, I'm going to tell your brother. Or if you, if you continue to to say this, I'm going to call your brother, your brother's going to come home. And I recognized that very early because I didn't want to have her have that fear, kind of like the fear you're talking about. I mean, obviously I wouldn't, I would never hit her or anything like that to that extent, but I'm like, I don't want her to fear me. I want her to be able to open up to me. And I think that is this, the change that we can, we can implement in our lives in our, in our families. Yeah, absolutely. Cause like, there's nothing wrong with people like with black men opening up to each other and getting raw and honest and I think that's something that you know we have to break down about the black community of like it it's okay to be vulnerable we have to be vulnerable with those that can help us and understand the struggle and not act like it's all good and easy because we know it's not. <laughs> we mm-hmm. know this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So were there, was there any, was there ever a point in your family where you felt enough? Um, I, I think, I think in a sad messed up way, it was holidays when all the family was together um, because we just, we had fun and acted like everything was good. Mm. And, and for once in those moments, I forgot how dysfunctional of a family I had. Mm. Um, I, so I'm curious, uh, with you, what, like, what was it like growing up in Chambersburg uh, with a white grandmother? So growing up where we grew up, to see um, black men with white women, it was kind of, it was kind of common. So it wasn't, yes, we grew up in a predominantly white area. However, to see like a black man with a white woman I think wasn't like foreign it was rare (laughs) there wasn't many (laughs) but like it wouldn't be like at least for us it wasn't like oh that's like something new it's like oh I've seen that before and my dad I've seen him date you know white women so I would say 
growing up where we grew up, it was weird at first because my mom, like I said, my mom and my grandma don't have that best of a relationship. And I remember growing up, like being taught to not like her because she quote unquote stole my grandfather from the family. And so when I moved, when I ended up moving in with her, I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to like you. And I'm a kid. So you just do what you're told. So I was like, I'm not supposed to like you. But then I realized like, oh, what's there not to like? And then we eventually bonded over me playing football. Um, and the rest was kind of history. I remember her running up and down the stadium with me um, until I got too fast. Then she couldn't run up and down the stadium with me. <laughs> so it was a, it was a, it was a unique dynamic, but I think it, it did help me to learn how to um, interact with all types of people. You know, my grandparents owned a bar, so I got to interact with rich people, poor people, white people, black people, brown people, kids, grandparents. Parents. So I, I feel like I just have a appreciation for that moment in my life. Yeah. So I have a, a two-part question. Mm-hmm. What was your relationship like with your grandfather and how did it change when he knew that you were taught to hate uh, your grandmother? My grandfather was, um, and he, he passed away when, when we were in high school. Um, he was the male figure in my life. My dad was in and out of my life because he was in and out of jail. So my grandfather was the male figure and it was almost like he could do no wrong so like when he was with my biological grandmother it was great when he when they split up he was still great you know and my relationship with him it was I looked up to him a lot he was very wise he was a man of few words um he was a businessman he took care of the family even after uh, he split with my grandmother. Um, but I don't know if he ever knew that I was taught to not like her because I don't think I ever really voiced it out. So I just, you know, stuck closer to him, obviously in times, and then eventually grew closer to her, um, or grew close to her until he passed away. So, um, my grandfather was like everything, you know, even my business now that I'm I'm running is called Enjoy the Journey Global. And that's one thing he wrote in his journal um, as he 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 had this thing called pulmonary hypertension. Essentially, the pathway between his lungs and his heart was blocked. So it was like a slow. Um, just kind of like a slow death he was having, um, but he would write in his journal when once he knew there was an end time coming close, he wrote in his journal, enjoy the journey. So I love that I get to put a little bit of him in my everyday life. Man, that that's so dope. I like that name too. Um, what, so what was it like with your, with your pops uh, being in and out of jail? How, how did that affect you growing up? 
It was tough, man. Um, I think of moments when I moved in with my grandparents and I think about my grandmother. She didn't understand, nor did my biological grandmother understand the love I had for him. They were like, why do you love him so much? He's always in and out of jail. And it's just like, but that's just my dad, you know? And it's like, like, what do you mean? And um, it was tough for me because it was a bunch of empty promises. And I mean, you and I have talked a lot about empty promises we we've, we've had from our family and he'd be like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to stay out. I'm like, it's almost like he put him going to jail on me. Like I'm going to stay out of jail for you. But like, then he would go back to jail and it's almost like, I felt like it was my fault. And I'm going to stay out of jail so I can go to your game so I can, you know, be, be this, be that. And he would go back in and out of jail. Eventually he got to the point where he got deported back to Jamaica. So it's like, it was, it was tough for me. And now knowing that, you know, he did get deported and had essentially nothing to do with me. It still like scarred me for years. Even to this day, I still have a hard time when people don't, people give me empty promises. Like people don't follow through with their word. It's like, it's almost like very triggering when somebody tells me something and then they don't do it. And I'm just like, just don't say it at that point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about the journey of trusting your grandfather. Cause like as a kid having those empty promises from your dad, like, was it hard to trust the promises of your grandfather then? Um, I would say the impact of those empty promises came or where I could remember them came when I moved in with my grandparents. Cause I feel like that's when I started to be more active in my social life and in school and sports. So then my grandfather was a, is that he was a man of his word. He was very disciplined. He was very routine. If he says he's going to come to something, he's going to come to something. So his word was his word. Now, my dad at the same time was saying, hey, I'm going to do this and then wouldn't do it or end up in jail or, or vice versa. You know, So I don't think it really impacted my grandfather because his word was consistent. He was, very, he was a very consistent man. Nice, nice. Um, when did you, what did your family get right? I would say we got loving each other right. And that sounds weird because I talk a lot about when we don't love each other. Um, but much like you, when we all are together, we get that right. Because it's like, we're all goofy. We're all fun. Um like recently during the pandemic when I was traveling way too much <laughs> during, a, <laughs> during a global pandemic, um, we went for my sister's 30th birthday. Like all my sisters were together. My mom was there and I was like, wow, we get this part right when we are together and we get to love each other. Like that's a, that's one thing I will always like, there's vivid moments I can think of, you know, 
that moment was like the most recent one. There was another time when we were all together at my grandmother's house with my mom and my grandmother um, when I was in college and my sisters were there and we were just, we got that right. You know, we were loving each other well, you know, goofing off, eating dinner around the dinner table. That's cool. It It's almost like when, when you and I's uh, families gets it right those moments are like seeing in our minds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like etched in forever. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ah, oh, this is what a functional family is. <laughs> I wish I had more of it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think about our high school uh, experiences where we rarely were with our family clear we around our other friends who, you know, they talk about their dysfunction in their family, but their dysfunction was not as much as our dysfunction. So it felt functional. <laughs> Very much so. so. I was like, yeah, let's go over to, you know, so-and-so's house and just hang out. Oh yeah, they got in a little argument, but that's not like our arguments. Yeah, I was like, that's it? Dang. Oh, I, I wish that was all I experienced. Yeah, man. Tony, this has been beyond amazing for uh this conversation on family dynamics. But I did want to push the conversation a little bit further. And I wanted to give you a friendship quiz. We've talked a little bit about how we've been friends for a, a long time. You know, I, w- I can think back to ninth grade. Can you think back to an earlier time? Or no, sorry, 10th grade. Can you think back to an earlier time? Uh, yeah, ninth grade. Did we have a class together? Biology. Ah. Mrs. White. Okay. All right. That's why you didn't like me, though. So we'll say 10th grade. Um, So (laughs) friendship quiz. This is the true tale. We're going to have this quiz often. So this is going to really see if we're we're for real friends. So, Tony. You should know this. (laughs) I have faith that you know this answer. It's all a lie. What is my favorite food? I know you know this, Tony. I know you know this. You have to. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I would have to say your grandmother's Swedish meatballs. And is that your final answer? Yes. Tony, you were incorrect. That is Tyler's favorite food. Dang it. Another one of our friends. My grandma's Swedish meatballs are fire. However, Tony, every time I come home, there is specific things I have to I have to eat, right? Oh yeah, you're right. You love sheets. Sheets is one, which is <laughs> which for those of you who don't know, if you're from the East Coast, you know. If you're not, you you don't. Sheets is a gas station where you get made to order food. Sounds weird, but I promise it is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that's one of the things. However, I also always get Rosalie's. Oh, yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I forget about that place. Do you know what I get from there, Tony? Don't you get cheesesteaks? Cheesesteaks, Tony. Come on. Come on. I, see, I got you. I knew <laughs> half of it. We're half friends. Cheesesteaks are my favorite, specifically from this restaurant in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. It's called Rosalie's. They make their bread. They make custom or homemade bread, and it was amazing. It's all about the bread, man. It is. And it sucks now that I'm living in California and I'm gluten-free, so when I go home, I'm just in pain, but it's worth it. (laughs) (laughs) The torture we put our bodies through. So right now, Tony, you are failing as a friend, but that's all right. We'll have more questions. Well, that seemed like a good place to wrap it up. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening to our show. First episode in the books, Tone. Yo, yo. Yeah. Hey, if y'all like our podcast, please follow us on your favorite podcasting app. You know, invite your neighbors your your sisters your auntie and them to, to, to like it we also love for you to give us a rating and a review um and just go along with us in this journey uh next week we got a special guest a special special uh episode about juneteenth so you don't want to miss it so tune in next week and until then be authentic in everything you do we'll see you guys next week peace peace